ask you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to uh, read a verse of scripture and then I'm going to go to the book of Jude. And so if you would have those two places prepared, Jude is right before Revelation. Um, In Philippians chapter 3, and I'm talking today about new covenant enemies, new covenant enemies. There are enemies of the new covenant. Um, And the Bible says in Philippians 3 verse 18, it says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And their end is destruction, and their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, and they mind earthly things. And so, Paul says in the verse prior to this, that he would exhort the people to be followers of him. Because he walked in the truth and he walked in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason he's asking people to follow him is because he is very clear when he says that many, not a few people, but many are those who walk and they are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think it's important for you to understand that the cross has enemies and not friends And just the fact that Paul uses the expression enemies implies a conflict. There is a battle. There is a fight that has to be fought. There is something that is at work to undermine your faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. And to cause you to misplace your faith from that. And these people that are enemies of the cross are very effective in what they do. Because there is an enemy of the cross, it postures you as a believer to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. To not only maintain your faith, but to defend the faith. To fight for the faith. Even at the risk of your life. Or the risk of pain or suffering or imprisonment. We must contend for the faith. Because there are those who attack it. And there are those who seek to remove you from the ground of your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must not let it happen. It is an individual fight, but it also must be a corporate fight. You cannot fight corporately if you are not standing strong individually. And it is important for the church of Jesus Christ to stand together corporately for the faith because there are many enemies And the enemies are not those that we might suppose. The enemies are, they're not the woke generation. They're not the trans generation. They're not the LGBTQ generation. They're not the government. It's not those that are the enemies of the cross of Jesus as the way Paul is implying it. Jude will also pick up on this in his epistle. And I want you to read that with me in Jude One, he says in verse three, he says, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. You must earnestly contend for this. I believe one of the greatest tragedies in the, in the history of Christianity is the lack of those who would fight for the faith. We don't like to fight. We don't like to be confrontational. We misunderstand the love of God. 
And we think that if we're supposed to walk in the love of God, just love people, then anything goes and everything is allowable. And that's not the love of God at all. Paul says in verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unaware. And I just want you to understand the woke crowd is not creeping in unaware. And the government is not creeping in unaware. Neither is the LGBTQ creeping into our churches unaware. They're very loud. They're very demonstrative. They have an agenda that is extremely aggressive. So who is this that's an enemy of the cross that we have to beware of? We have to contend for the faith and we have to make sure that we maintain our faith. And so they creep in unaware and who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're ungodly men. And this is what they do, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what these guys do. And you have to keep in mind that Jude says they come in unaware. They're not noticed. You you wouldn't recognize them right off. You wouldn't think that these people have another agenda. You, you, as a matter of fact, when they creep in unaware, this, this word creeping in unaware means they come in secretly. They're not announcing themselves. They're not announcing an agenda. They come in with stealth. They appear good. They are Satan's ministers of light that come in among the people of God. They look holy. They're very skilled in the Bible. They know the Bible probably better than most. But they were destroying the believers and they were overthrowing the faith. These believers are are, are these men who crept in unaware, did incredible damage to the church at Galatia, one of Paul's churches, did incredible damage, such damage that the apostle Paul was afraid that the entire church had fallen from grace. And that they had need for Christ to be formed in them all over again. Very serious. Very serious work indeed. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's what he says in Jude. That's their tactic. That's what they do. And what that means is this. These men who seek to overthrow the faith. These men that we have to earnestly contend against. They come in and they begin to espouse things such as this. If you live by grace, then you are going to be given a license to sin. If you put people under grace, then people are going to do whatever they want to do. Have you ever heard that? That's the enemy of the cross. That individual who thinks that If you just preach the grace of God and offer men the grace of God, then men are going to live however they want and the church is going to get out of control and people are going to begin to live in sin are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will not allow a believer to live that way. But that's what these enemies do. And there's many of them. And I'm sure that every one of us have been 
in an encounter with them. Not only do they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, they, des- they deny the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what they do. And, and basically what that means is, is, is they are in denial that God, through his son Jesus Christ, is able to sanctify and make holy people who are trusting in him. God doesn't have the ability to do that. You have to help him. There are things you have to do. You have to work. You, by your own self-will and your own self-power, have got to improve yourself and become more holy. Because God's not able to do it alone. And I want you to go with me, and we're going to come back to Jude in just a moment. But go a couple of books over to Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to see this. He says in Hebrews 12 verse 28. He says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. This is a beautiful scripture because if anybody wants to serve God acceptably, If anybody wants to walk in godly fear that reverence is God, you've got to have grace. Apart from grace, nobody's serving God acceptably. Whatever you're doing in your own power, whatever you are accomplishing in your own strength, apart from God's grace, God does not accept it. The only thing that God accepts in your life is that work of the Spirit you are believing Him to do. If you boast in your prayer life because you have the discipline to pray, God does not accept that as an acceptable and pleasing work. But if you have a prayer life by which you are desperate for the Holy Spirit to help you pray, and the Holy Spirit is giving you a burden and a desire to pray and helping you pray, and you're really watching your prayer life take off, that is an acceptable work of God. You are cooperating with Him, but He is doing it. And then the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 9, He says, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And so you're to be established, your heart is to be established in grace and by grace. And the same chapter, verse 20, talking about the ability of God. Because remember in Jude, these enemies of the cross... These, these men that creep in unaware, that we have to earnestly contend against. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and they deny God and Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 speaks to this. It says, now the God of peace, and this God has the power to bring the dead to life like he did for Jesus. And Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. So the God of peace through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will. This God of peace is working in you. That which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Where in this 
few verses of scripture, where does it ever talk about you? It talks about him. It talks about the God of peace through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, is able to make you perfect in every good work, to do his will. This God of peace works in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Now, we understand if you're not born again, this God of peace is not working in you. Because grace is not working in you. It's working for you to bring you to Christ, but it's not working in you. And so, going back to Jude... And I want you to see in verse 5, because we're continuing with the enemies of the new covenant. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And so I want you to, this is so important. Verse 5 is so important. And verse 5 is, it illustrates verses 3 and 4 about how you have to contend for the faith, earnestly contend for the faith. Because Paul said, there are many enemies of the cross that have come in to overthrow your faith. And if they overthrow your faith, if they overthrow your walk with God through grace, then they're going to overthrow your ability to do anything acceptable to God. They're going to disturb your heart because you're not going to have peace in your heart because only grace gives you that. And he gives this example in verse 5 of Jude about what happened to Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And he specifically says that it was about those that believed not, or we might use the word unbelief. And we know it was because of unbelief that many of the Jewish people who were brought out of Egypt could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. The promised land is not heaven, but the promised land is entering into the riches and and the fulfillment of what God wants for men. Promised land had many battles that had to be fought. The promised land had giants. The promised land had enemies. Heaven doesn't, praise God. And when we're entering into God's covenant of peace, when we're entering into this life of Jesus Christ and the life of the Holy Spirit, which would be the promised land, it doesn't mean that our life now will not involve conflict and fight, but it means now we've entered in because of faith and we live by faith. But the reason they did not enter in is because they believed not. And that's exactly what Jude is trying to tell us that men who creep in are trying to do. And beware of them because they look holy. They know their Bibles. They've probably been in the church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They have tenure in this. They have a lifestyle and an appearance that looks like they should be listened to. And they should be honored. But you have to beware. Check everything through the scriptures. Because not everybody's a friend to the new covenant. And so Paul or Jude says this. These men, basically what they will do to you at the end. Is they will cause you to believe not. That's what they'll do. They will work in such a way to discredit God's grace into lasciviousness. And discredit God and Jesus Christ that they will take from you your ability to believe. 
and you will believe not. And if you believe not, that's not good for you. That is tragic. Tragic. It's a falling away from Jesus Christ. It is a, it is a, to move in a different destiny of direction. Away from God. And so I want to again go back to Hebrews chapter 3. And I want to, I just want you to remember this because Jude is telling us, and this is the relationship between the book of Hebrews and Jude, because we understand that in the book of Hebrews, he also talks about those who did not enter the promised land. And this is in chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews, and I want you to read it with me. And he says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now just prior to that, he talks about a rest from God. And he talks about an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. You can't depart from somebody you're not with. And so you're departing from the living God. And so in order for us to not do that, we should exhort and encourage one another. Once a week at nine o'clock. Daily, while it's called today. It's very serious. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What's the deceitfulness of sin? What is that? Now, we would all have ideas and we would probably all give a particular aspect. The deceitfulness of sin is... And those answers, I'm sure, would be very, very accurate. But what is his point here about the deceitfulness of sin? And this is the beauty of the Bible. Because if it were left to us to interpret it, then we would, might all have a different conclusion. But he interprets it himself. So what's the deceitfulness of sin as you're reading this passage? What would you say that it is? What does sin want to bring you to? Now, you're already with God because the reason we need to exhort each other is so that we encourage each other lest there comes in me an evil heart of unbelief and I depart from the living God. So what's the deceitfulness of sin that he's talking about? Where does sin want to bring me? Same place that Jude 5 says. It wants to bring me to unbelief. That's the deceitfulness of sin. To bring me to unbelief. And I want you to follow with me in this. So he says, exhort one another daily while it's called today. Lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. Huge word. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, that's contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. Because you've got to have this. You've got to keep your faith. And not everybody's a friend. And the enemies are not necessarily the government or these movements or these activist groups. They're not the enemy. The enemy is within. It's within the church. 
They creep in. You don't recognize them. You're not, an aware, you're not even aware they've come as an enemy. You'll find out, but you're not aware. So you've got to keep your confidence to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not, Jude 5. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin is to bring you to unbelief. The deceitfulness of sin is to dislodge you from your confidence in God, your confidence in your faith, that brings you to a place that now you are not believing God. You're not listening to Him. You're not hearing His voice. You're not being led by the Holy Spirit. You're doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And every time you get in trouble like Israel did, we cry out to God and God hears us and God delivers. But then we go right back to our own ways. We don't like the way of God. We murmur. We complain about it. All of this is the working of the deceitfulness of sin till we finally come to this place of unbelief. And if I could, I would sum it up this way. And I would just like for you to greatly consider it. And um, it's this thought It's this battle, it's this struggle that people get into. Every one of you in this room has a besetting sin. Every one of you. Every one of you has hidden things in your life that gives you shame. Not one of you believes that you have your glorified state of being like you're going to have when Jesus gives you a new body. None of us in this room do. So you struggle. Now, many of you walk in faith. Others may walk in religion. Doing my good deeds to appease the angry God. And maybe he'll help me because things in my life I really need God to help me with. But many or some within the kingdom of God, in the house of God, in the congregation of saints, there are many of those who have come to the conclusion, this is just who I am. And I'll never be different. I'll never be free. I'll never change. And that was the attitude that Israel eventually got to in the wilderness when they were presented with their promised land. And the 12 spies come back, right? And the 10 spies confessed the promised land is everything God said. But there's also danger there. And we saw giants there. And we are not Able. Not even God can give us our promise. And that was the unbelief. 
It wasn't the fact that they became atheists. And Carla, you can come up. It wasn't the fact that they became atheists. They believed in God. They believed that the God of Abraham was their God. They had seen the wonders of God and the miracles of God probably much more than any of us have seen miracles or wonders. They saw all of that. So what was it that Hebrews 3 and Jude 5 speaks of when he says they were unbelievers? God cannot. God cannot. And when Hebrews 13, 20 says to you and me that the God of peace through the blood of Jesus Christ can make you perfect and well-pleasing in his sight to do his will, the believer says, yes, he can. The believer who is walking in his faith, contending for his faith, As he wrestles with besetting sins, like every one of you do, comes to the altar for the 10,000th time and says to God, you can, you will, and I will continue to believe you to do it. And I will deny this sin, and I will repent of this sin, and I will confess this sin to you because I don't want it. I've heard people say all of my life. And I've been guilty of saying it too. You know why you sin? Because you love it. That's why you do it. You sin because you love it. Praise God for Romans chapter 7. Because Paul said, the thing that I hate, I do. But many of you have resigned yourself to live in the secret of your sin. Because you'll never be different, you'll never be changed, and not even God And that's the deceitfulness of sin. And that is the lasciviousness that these false enemies or these enemies of the cross try to bring in. That God's grace can't do it. You have to help him. And the moment you begin to believe. That if you are to be holy, you have to help God to make you holy. You are beginning to walk in unbelief. Be careful. It's extremely dangerous. You're fighting for your faith. Don't misunderstand me. When you live in grace, you will work. You will work hard. But it will be the grace of God. And when you live by faith, you will live because faith lives. And faith without works is dead. So don't think, well, I'm going to just sit here and God's going to zap me and I'm going to... No. Grace is God's divine influence. You want God's divine influence on your life? You want God's divine influence on your family? Every day. Be with a group of Christians who will exhort you. Lest you become hardened in your heart. Come to the prayer meeting. Not out of legalism. But out of faith. That I need the body of Christ to touch God for me. I need to be in the presence of God where he will affect my life. Open your word now. Not because I'm just going to read my Bible and they tell me it's a good thing to do. But I believe this is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I want to know Jesus and I want to see myself for what I really am. 
Holy Spirit, I desire to commune with you while I read your word. And now the grace of God through his word begins to influence your life. You don't sit around and do nothing. But faith causes you to live a life that believes God can. God can. God can. God can. God can. And if God can't, we're all in trouble. And if God can, who can? Stand with me. I just want us to honor the Lord. I want us to honor His grace. I want to honor His covenant. And just desire that we are the friends of the cross. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name as we close this service today, God. That we would be so fully aware and confident that you are able. And Lord, we wrestle. We wrestle with shameful things. We wrestle with dark things. We wrestle with besetting sins, God. But we say that you can. That's why we come to altars. We're saying you can, you can, you can. We're responding to you. We're identifying and agreeing with you, God, that you are able. Father, help us not only to walk in our faith, but help us to help others walk in faith and fight these enemies of the cross who would insinuate that the grace of God is not enough. God's not enough. Jesus is not enough. The Holy Ghost is not enough. But we say that your covenant is excellent. You your triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you can do it. You are able. Lord, I don't have to live my life saying, well, this is just the way I am. Praise God. You didn't just bring us into Christ to be the way we are, but to change us and make us like Him.